as you can tell, we're already into it, so we're just going to launch ourselves into, pres into the presence of the Lord. Our hearts cry this morning is, God, we want to meet you. We believe, Lord, that there's much more of you that we have not seen, that we have not experienced, that we have not known. And we long, we long, we long to know you more. So we say, come. Come, Emmanuel. Oh, God, we declare this morning that we need you. We need the life that is in you. We need, we need the truth that is in you. God, we cry out with all our hearts. Oh, come, oh, come. In again. Lord, we seek your face this day. You know, I feel like there might be people here today who are extremely discouraged. Like just things have not gone the way they should go. You're thinking, is it all worth it? You know, should, can I even continue? And I believe God has something for you today. Don't go anywhere, you guys in the front, because I don't want everybody to scatter. Don't go anywhere. But I, if, you, if that's you, I want you to come forward and stand here. And we're going to have the body pray for you. We're going to anoint you with oil. Because I believe, I believe, I believe that there's a word for you today. That I believe that God wants to, uh, God wants to do something in your spirit. So, Father, right now, we reach out our faith for everyone. Not only the ones that are in the back, but everyone that's here. God, we pray in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus for breakthrough, in the name of Jesus. So I just had this revelation and uh, just Jesus from a young age coming to this earth would have known that he was, it wouldn't have been when he was 30 years old that he knew he was going to die for the sins of the world. From a young age, he would have known that, but yet he... He didn't let that overwhelm him. And people still came to him with his problems. And I knew, I know for myself, if I knew that I was going to die a sacrificial death in 10 years, I would be, woe was me. You guys have no idea what you're going through. This is, this is hard. But Jesus didn't do that. He, he let his life be an example for us. And we're supposed to be, you guys have heard the, what would Jesus do terms. That's what we're supposed to be to this world. So I just invite you this morning that as you're, whatever you're going through, whatever your issues are, that Jesus went through greater, and we're supposed to be a mirror of that to this world. So I just invite you to dive into him. Just look to his glory and just be him to this world. Be him this morning. Look to his glory this morning and everything you do. Just look to the joy of the Lord because that's where we find our rest. That's where we can lay our burdens down on him. 
when we're no longer looking at our problems, but we're looking at him and being that mere image of his glory to this world. So I just invite you this morning to not look at yourself, but look to the glory of the God. And Lord, I just want to be a mere image of your glory to this world. I don't want to look at my own problems, whatever's going on. I know that there's people that have things that suck going on. But Father, we just want to be your light to this world. We want to be, what would Jesus do? We want people to look at us and say, what would Tyson do? What, what would Gavin do? What would Mark do? We want to be that mere image to you, God. So Father, we just look to you and we look to your glory and we ask that your joy would just flood this place this morning, God. That the joy of the Lord would just flow through this place and that we would just see your glory and see you for who you truly are so that we may truly be that light to this world, that we may truly be a mere image of you to this world, God. So Father, we look to you this morning for you are glorious. Let's just take a minute and all stand as a body. Let's just lift our hands to the Father because I feel right now there's many of us that are in our seats. There's many of us that are still working through us, through stuff. And I feel like the Father is saying right now, He's here, right? Do we believe that? Do we believe He's with, He's in this room? He's right in front of you, right? So whatever it is that you need right now, He has it, right now. And so I believe the Father is saying, regardless if you're sitting in the front of the back, I have what you need. There's one response. Come before He right now. Come before He right now. And so, Father God, each of us come before you in the name of Jesus. Father, we all have needs. And, Father, we present them to you in the name of Jesus Christ. We give them to you, Father. That's what we're supposed to do. And so that's what we do right now. We give our needs to you, Father. Father, come and move in our lives. That's our heart's desire, Father God. Move in our lives. For those that need healing, God, right now, bring healing in the name of Jesus Christ. For those that need direction, Father, right now, bring direction in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, for those right now who need restoration in their families, bring restoration in their families. Father God, I see right now for those that are struggling with where their kids are at, Father, increase their faith and let them know that the Father has them in Jesus' name. Father, for those right now who are struggling financially, you are the one who provides for all of our needs, God. You are Jehovah Jireh. And so, Father, right now we trust that you will take care of all of our needs. That's the God we serve. That's the God we know. We can trust that in Jesus' name. And, Father God, for whatever other needs are in front of us, God, we give it to you, to you, to no other person, to you, in Jesus' name. And, Father God, we say thank you in Jesus' name. Declare that. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for meeting our needs. Thank you for taking care of us. Thank you for covering our kids. Thank you for providing jobs. Thank you, Father God, that you take care of everything in Jesus' name. And we give you glory. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Can we say amen? Is that the God we serve? Can we say amen again? Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We're going to watch a video here for a few minutes. Let me just introduce. Uh, it's a four-minute video. Uh, it's uh, it's a fellow. He's actually the son of Doug Schneider. You might remember a few years ago, Doug Schneider came and shared here. Um, it was only once, and it was a few years ago, so you may not remember. Uh, it'd be good. To, anybody remember Doug Schneider? Okay, I'll make sure I tell him. 
Nobody remembers him. Anyway, his son, Derek Schneider, uh, has been following in his dad's footsteps and doing ministry. And uh, anyway, he had an experience. It kind of paralleled an experience that I had and that I shared about briefly on Wednesday night. And though it's very, it really fundamentally is different in some respects, but but I want you to hear his testimony, and then I'm going to share something about it because we have this conflict conflict in our minds in some ways about what it means to draw near to God, and uh, what is the difference between God being always there, always around, omnipresent. Right? You know what the word omnipresent means? Always present. So we say God is omnipresent, and yet we are called to seek him. We have God inside of us, yet we're called to worship him and lean into his presence. So is there an inherent contradiction between those two things, or is there something of a divine plan? What do you think I'm, which way do you think I'm leaning? <laughs> anyway, uh, as you're listening here, um, I, I want you to, I want you to, Grab a hold of something. Now, you may not have an experience exactly like this, but the idea is this, is that God wants you to know him in ways you haven't ever known him. And he's going to talk about an anointing for a peculiar kind of service. And I want you to grab a hold of the fact that God anoints you for service. And that anointing for service comes from his presence. And that's one of the reasons we are called to seek him. So let's, uh, let's listen to that. I'm thinking in the kitchenette area, I walked into my room, and I felt no anointing, no presence of God. We hadn't been praying together. We hadn't been worshiping or something. All of a sudden, the power and presence of God fell on me in a way I maybe had never experienced and have never experienced since. This so overwhelmed me, I found myself on my knees, right up against the, the mattress of the bed, in what some call violent travail, real prayer, real intercession, weeping, groaning that are too deep for words. You know, this is Bible, but we don't like to have these experiences sometimes. And the, the sound, I think, that was coming out of the room was so... Uh, loud and unusual. My team actually left the, the apartment to give me some some alone time. They knew something was happening. And there in that room in Ukraine, the first time ever in Ukraine, I wept and was broken before the Lord in a way that, that I have never had since. And at one point in this place of, of travail and intercession, I felt the presence of somebody in the room is the best way I could describe it. You know, when you feel somebody walking through, and that's what I felt. I mean, I felt this, this presence of somebody on the other side of the bed. And it's hard to put this into human terms, but I felt terrified to look up from my prayer. I felt like if I see him, I might die. It was like Isaiah being totally undone. I was undone in the presence of the that's literally what it was like. And I feel that the presence of someone on the other side of the bed, I'm not looking up, and God begins to speak to me about the call, my calling, purpose, 
why I'm here in Ukraine, and the cause. I, I was shocked at the number of things the Lord was asking me to lay down and to give up and to surrender. You know, sometimes we talk very flippantly about experience, experiences with the Lord, like God told me and I saw Jesus and this and that. This was just so much deeper than that that I actually found myself arguing with him and saying no. Imagine saying no to God. The cost was so great. And even the calling, what God wants to do in the earth and our role in it was so profound and overwhelming to me. Between my tears, I was saying no to him. And near the end of this experience, I finally, you know, kind of like Jacob wrestling with God, I said yes. And at that moment, everything ended. He was gone. The presence of God was gone. All that was left was me on the floor, tear-stained face. And I knew I had had an encounter with the presence of the person of Jesus. And what I later discovered is when we have these encounters with Jesus, it's to leave us not only changed, but to give us a fresh apostolic grace. He is the chief apostle. To give us a fresh apostolic grace to do something. And it was the very next morning that uh, I stood on the stage in front of close to 10,000 people, spoke, and the doors for international ministry and everything blew open. What I believe happened there in Ukraine was the Lord wanted to walk me through a destiny door. Not only a connection with the nation of Ukraine, a connection with that church, and something for Canada, an answer to my prayers. You know, we need this in Canada, I said to the pastor. But he knew that there were some things in my heart I needed to lay down. He knew what the cost was, and he came to collect, so to speak. And from that point on, Ukraine became a destiny relationship, especially with, with Canada. And I've often said when I would return to Canada, I'd say, if I feel like I'm a I want you to uh, turn in your Bible to Acts 17. Uh, Derek Jesperson was sharing in the pre-service prayer about a prophetic word that Noel Alexander gave at the International House of Prayer in Kansas City in 1988. And uh, this was pre-iPhones, this was pre-internet almost, you know, the very front edge of uh, some of those things. Anyway, he had a, he gave a prophetic word that people all over the world would have handheld televisions and we'd be watching the House of Prayer uh, all over the world on these little televisions. How many of you know that in the last few years you can watch video stream of almost anything anywhere in the world out in a rice paddy in a field or whatever? And uh, anyway, it was, it was a great great confirmation of the nature of uh, prophetic words, but how they come to pass in ways, you know, imagine if they were thinking about that, you know, little TVs, you know, and yet, of course, we know that they're cell phones. Thanks, Derek, for that testimony. Appreciate that. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for um, what you're doing in our lives. Lord, you said so often, uh, let it be to you according to your faith. And so, Father, we ask that you would, if that's how it's going to be, we ask that you increase our faith. Father, if we are going to receive according to the extent of our belief, God, then change our belief. 
bring us into a place where we can believe you for more and, uh, and remove, Lord, those barriers to belief. We pray in Jesus' name. You know, just as I'm thinking about that, I, we could go a lot of directions with that, but, um, you know, God is not unwilling to do things for you, but he has a certain protocol that he's decided to use. That protocol is not a, a, an, an arbitrary system, something he just sort of dreamed up and thought, let's make it really hard, you know, not like uh, some government office that wants to legitimize themselves by making... The driver's ed test, for example, so hard you have to take it four or five times. Um, it's not arbitrary. It's according to his nature. When God sets up a system and calls us to walk through things, it's not just so that we can jump over hurdles. So he says, I'm God. When I say jump, you jump. You know, It's not bad. God is not reinforcing his authority. He's not insecure. He doesn't need to do that. But every system that God has is according to the nature of his person. He has these things in place because that's who he is, not just what he's decided to, on a whim, impose upon you, uh, the victim of his machinations. He is uh, manifesting himself in the journey through what he's doing in your life. So, let me read the scripture and then I'll I'll explain, I guess, uh, the context a little bit. Acts 17, verse 23 Paul is uh, preaching, he's talking to the Athenians, and this is what he says, to the unknown God, because he saw this altar to the unknown God. So he says, therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything. Since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men who dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and their boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own prophets have said, for we are also his offspring. So anyway, then he goes into talking to them about uh, the pointlessness of of idolatry. But uh, when Paul wrote this, he set something up for us. There is this duality in our faith where on the one hand, God is in us. How many of you read, you know, 1 Corinthians 3? You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. How many temples of the Holy Ghost have we got here? Let me see. So you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. When you became born again, the Bible says very clearly that your spirit became one spirit with God. So so we have this language there where God is in you, the mystery of godliness. In fact, it was interesting. uh, During the worship, I came and I asked Cam what he was thinking about. And actually, he was thinking about the duality of these two things. I said, you know, actually, come up here for a second. Tell us what you were were thinking of in your mind, uh, the conflict. Well, I was uh, thinking of the scripture, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I I was feeling the struggle of... God inside, how do I let him out? And yet still feeling like we're calling out for him to come closer. And so I was back and forth. Which way is this supposed to 
be going. Now, I thought that was really interesting because this was what I wanted to, to share about. And I, I, I'm not going to solve the, uh, the tension for you. Just so you know. You know, there's no quick, you know, little maim I can produce that will actually answer the full thing. It is a mystery. But what do we know? That's the question. There's a mystery, but what do we know? Okay, so let's, let's start with the basics. We know that Christ in you, the hope of glory, that there is a, an essence where, an element where out of your innermost being flows rivers of living water. And we know that that is a manifestation of him. And yet on the other hand, we keep talking about seeking the Lord, right? Well, why do I have to seek him? I already have him. You know, that isn't he omnipresent anyway? Isn't he everywhere? I mean, uh, I remember years ago when there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit having somewhere else, and I think I, I alluded to this in the past. There was an outpouring of the Spirit happening somewhere, and people, I asked them, you know, are you going to go to this meeting? And uh, some were, you know, eager, and they said, yeah, I'm going to go, you know. And others were like, no, I'm not going to go there. God, I don't need to go there to find God. God's everywhere. If God wants to show me something, he knows where I live. It sounds like a kind of a confidence, but it's actually arrogance. Because here's the reality. From the time of Adam and Eve on the earth, right through the history of the Old Testament, we see this dynamic where God is more manifest in certain places than other places. I mean, Adam and Eve themselves came and met with God in the evening. Obviously, there was, a, there was a level of meeting. You know, that was before man fell and everything. But the point is that there was a concentration of the presence of God in the person of God that was not manifest at other, at other times. After, if you look down the history of Israel, you'll see there's moments when God is not manifesting himself in the nation of Israel, moments when he is manifesting himself in the, in the, in the nation of Israel. There are just, there's these moments where he is showing himself and other moments where he's hiding himself. Uh, is that fair enough? Can you, so the, what we have to become comfortable with is that the duality of this is biblical on either side. It's biblical to think that God is in me and that in the one sense, I am, we are the, the church is the light of the world. We are the means by which God is manifesting. And so we talk a lot about those things, you know, if the river of God the life of God is flowing out of your innermost being, and, and that's, that's how we minister. We're actually releasing the life of God. What about this other dimension of the corporate manifestation of God? You know, where does that fit in? And again, I can't completely answer that question except to say this, both end. All right? We need, we have both and we need both. But uh, there is an element where in your life, despite the fact that you have God, you have God in your spirit, the Bible very clearly gives an anatomy of this journey, that when you are born again, Peter says, First Peter chapter 1, I think it is, he says, he says, you are born again of a seed, the eternal seed. How many of you know if you get a seed, you don't get the whole apple tree? When you get a seed, you get a seed. What do you do with a seed? It's planted. You plant it. And so... Uh, there, there is a growing manifestation of God in your life, if you will. But what happens is 
we we identify with certain dimensions of that. We, we look around in our life and we see the people that are experiencing God, I mean, the most, or, you know, that haven't gone over the edge, right? Because there's always that. Or always, well, there's people out there and they're over the edge, so we're not looking at them. But we're looking at people within the realm of our experience that we think, okay, how much of God is manifesting in the life? That's what I want. And by virtue of the fact that we are human and we think this way, we tend to put ceilings on the manifestation of God because it is according to your faith. How much can you believe for? Now, on Wednesday night, we were, we were here and we were praying. And I was, I was encouraging us to do this thing because, and again, we don't represent necessarily everything that God is doing in the earth, and we don't need to in one moment because it's impossible to do. The only question we need to do is what is God, the only question we need to answer rather is, is what is God saying to us for our particular journey? And God is going to be saying something to me personally that's maybe different than your journey, and I'm okay with that. You know, sometimes God is calling one person to holiness because they're slipping in the area of holiness. And he's, another person, he's saying, don't worry about holiness. Just know that I love you. Just know that I love you. Just know that I love you. Well, are these two messages against one another? No, they just happen to be what the individual needs right now. So what you need for your journey in your life may not be what the person sitting next to you needs. Anyway, but God is doing something, and it's as legitimate as what God is doing in your life right now. Now, Derek's uh, testimony there has to do with a particular intense uh, launching for apostolic ministry in the nations. And, um, and yet, uh, there are nuances of that, that, that manifestation that you... You may have had to some degree. How many of you in this room have ever felt the fear of the Lord? Anybody in, a, in what you would call a, a level of a revelation? Okay. Now, uh, I remember in Bible college, I heard a guy talking about this, that he had asked God to come in the room, and he felt God coming into the room. And as God was coming into the room, uh, he began to scream and say, don't come. Because God was starting to move into the room with a manifestation of a glory that he was sure he would die if God came any closer. Now, chances are we haven't experienced that level of revelation. But the question is, why can one experience that and not another? And it, more specifically, what elements of the presence of God does God want to bring to you, but he's holding back until you're ready. And if that's true, what's it going to take for you to be ready? Now, I've had many moments in the presence of the Lord, but three moments I would put on the level of what Derek was talking there, where something of the nature of God interrupted my life and from that point forward from that point forward something was never ever the same again and i would i would say three of those events happened in my life and i my heart is this for you every time we gather together and draw near to the lord we're saying to god i want more of you 
And that is preparation for what God will or will not give to you. Because the one thing you need to realize with God, and I think we mentioned it Wednesday night or last Sunday, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's that the very essence of faith is that you believe God is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. But what is the reward? Genesis 15, 1. God comes to Abraham and he says to Abraham, I am your exceeding and great reward. If we are seeking God, the reward of seeking God is finding him. Not as though we didn't ever know him, but like Job, we, there's a quantum leap in the knowledge of him from one level to another level. Where we say, oh, I, would, I thought I knew you, but now I know you. And, you know, Job said, I, I, he, he gave some language to this. He said, I, I heard you, you know, according to the, I knew you according to the hearing of the ear, but now I know you. He knew him before, but more later. You know, I've, I've, I've run into this again and again down through the years in the church where leaders will basically say, listen, once you're saved... That's it. You're saved, and you know, you, you know God will comfort you and things like that, but now you just got to do the stuff. You just got to be the Christian. Hey, this is a great time for Gord to come up. Come on, Gord. This is, you know, once you're saved, that's it. You know, now just be good. Go to church, pay your tithes, and hang on. What do you think of that? That was me up to about, I'd say about 11 years ago. Um, I got to a point where I just had decided this is as good as it gets in this life. And so we just kind of hang on and hopefully heaven's better. But I'd hit up against some walls in my own life, some stuff that I just could not get the victory over. And very discouraging. And actually when we had prayer this morning for people who were discouraged, who felt that way, and I got to tell you, I was there. And you just kind of go, okay, well, I guess we just kind of muddle through. And what I had was no hope. I had a wish. Gee, I wish things would be better. But no hope. What has changed in the last 10 years is I now have hope, and I have biblical hope. What I mean is this. Not, gee, I wish, but absolute assurance, 100% know that the work that God has fin started in me, he will finish. And he isn't done until I am 100% like Christ. And so actually I was sharing with Di that there's, Di gave me a word a couple of Wednesdays ago. <laughs> and it brought up a spirit of rejection that is in me. And she just said, Gord, you got to know, we here like you. And there was this thing in me that went, no way. Oh, wow, that's interesting. I thought I'd got to victory over that. Well, a few days later, I'm in a prayer meeting. says to me, Gord, we like you. Well, there was one time where I would have gone completely under condemnation about that. Because I couldn't get the victory over this thing. Now you know what happened? My spirit rose up and it said, God 
has decided to start working on this. Because when it comes up twice, that means God has decided to come working on it. I am so excited because this thing has really affected my relationships. And he's decided to work on it, and he will. So I just want to say right now, in prophetically, those of you who are hopeless, I declare right now hope to you. You have hope. God will finish the work he has begun. And I look at every one of you, and God has begun work. So he will finish it. Amen. Thank you, Lord. That was, that was a great time for that testimony. <laughs> you know, but this has to do with his relationship with God. Because when you secretly believe that people don't like you, you secretly believe God doesn't like you. And uh, you may keep telling yourself the opposite all the time, but telling yourself is not as convincing as having that thing conquered inside of you. And so a lot of the challenges relationally that we have are actually the, uh, a reflection of the barriers we presently have between God and him, uh, God and us right now. And so the things that God is dealing with in your life um, are so that you can draw near to him. And some of those things are going to take a while because, A, you don't even know they're there. And, B, there's a lot of thought process. There's a lot of reinforcement behind those ideas. That's why you hold to them. And so God is dismantling them sometimes like a, a piece of fabric, one thread at a time, you know. And so, uh, but, uh, but there is this, there's this element where, where God wants us to know him, but we have barriers. We have things between us. Well, uh, you, know, isn't, isn't, uh, you know, isn't it enough that I have this, this, and this? Well, it is enough. I mean, you, you're going to die and go to heaven, but this is not about just getting to heaven. This is about eternity. This is about how you're going to shine for eternity. Those who know their God will do exploits. And then it says to Daniel, he talks about they're going to shine, I think, like the morning star. Where's the morning star? Oh, yeah, somebody said it was Jesus. Now, when we were worshiping earlier, I, I keep feeling this conflict in our body, uh, about the, well, I have God, but I'm seeking him. Why is this a conflict? How many of you have ever been in a service, and you're in the service, but you realize 15, 20 minutes into the service that you haven't given God one thought, but now you've become aware of him? Anybody ever experienced that? Would, could you say that's somewhat universally true? Okay. It's not that God isn't there. It's not that his presence is there, but he may as well not be there if you're not aware of him. That's the awareness, the revelation, the interaction with his presence that he's trying to amplify. So if, you could, if he could be in the room and somebody's experiencing him, but you're across you know, three people away and you're not feeling or experiencing anything... Is it possible that even when you're experiencing him, that there's a level of experience you've never even thought of, never even known possible? And that's the reality. And God is saying, listen, I want to deal. I want to take away the ceilings in your life. I want to, the, these, these artificial 
stopping places that we have. He's saying, listen, I, I want you to experience everything you can experience. However, just like Israel in the Old Testament, where only Moses could go up the mountain and meet face to face with God, and only, only Joshua could go up the mountain and stay at the place that only him and Moses were able to go to and wait there for a week for Moses to come down, and only the elders could go to the place below that, there are degrees of proximity to God. Some people get to experience more than others. That is clear if you've ever read the Bible. So the question is, if God is saying, I'm no respecter of persons, what then is the issue? The issue is not availability. His presence is available to you. It has to do with your individual journey. And so that even, even though in this context of Acts chapter 17, Paul is talking about the unsaved who groping, groping. Or the idea of groping, the, the nuance that comes with that word is, you know, being in a dark place and feeling your way around, getting up in the middle of the night and, you know, where is that light switch? Where is that, you know, got to make sure on my way to the bathroom, it's pitch black here. I'm in an unfamiliar hotel. Got to gr- feel my way to get where I want to go. Well, there's an element of that that is on the unsaved, but I'm telling you there's an element of that that's on every single person that still is saved between what you know and what you have yet to discover. But God says this. He says that men, I've set the system up this way, that men may seek me. That men may seek me. And when you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. That's the promise. And that's sort of where we left off last week when I touched that thing because the promise is that you will find God. But sometimes, you know, it's like, man, this is, this is a big gap. There's getting to be these big gaps between, you know, woohoo moments. How many of you found that? You know, you, when I was a young Christian, it's like it was a woohoo moment every day. Every day there was something just, yeah, I love God. This is so great. He's so real. But all of a sudden, there, there, there began to be gaps punctuated by moments with God. And it seemed there was be greater distance, greater distance, and greater distance between those, those watershed, life-changing, oh, God is real, he hasn't left me alone. What is God doing in those moments? He's doing a lot of things. He doesn't change. So clearly he's changing you. All right. I am the Lord. I change not. He doesn't change. So he's changing us. Um, there's a principle. And I've alluded to this in the past as well. But there's a principle with children where they, they reach a cognitive level of understanding. It's called the permanence of objects. Where before that stage... When mom is not in their vantage, in their view, then they panic because it's as though mom does not exist. So that's why it's so fun to play the peekaboo game. Peekaboo. And it's like, ha! Ah! 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 <laughs> How can this be so fun? <laughs> because you're disappearing. 
and then you're appearing. And he's like, how does this work? This is amazing. In our world, we are like that baby, and God is effectively appearing and disappearing, appearing and disappearing, appearing and disappearing. Faith is, a, you know, the, the, the permanence of objects is a position of faith that you arrive at where suddenly the, the absence of God's immediate presence bringing comfort and, and, and soothing does not send you into a spiral, you know, descent of depression and darkness. That's, a, that's something that is achieved, but it can only be achieved and tested by God disappearing from immediate manifestation. These are the things that God is doing in your life. And he's saying, how long before you panic? How long? And how many circumstances... Because he's producing faith. I mean, if we are the ones, faith, your faith releases God into the world. And if you are in charge of certain circumstances, and can you believe for God to be in this world that he's given you administration over, whether you see him or not? How bad can things get me? Don't worry. God's in this. God's doing something. Don't worry. God's changing the earth. God's changing our family. Don't worry about this. Well, I lost my job, but that's all right. God is alive. God's got lots of money. He's got another job. He's got, there's all kinds of things going on. These all are a part of that. You may not be the, you know, the one principal person that's uh, creating the manifestation of God over all the nations, but there is a realm where which God is training you to believe him to be there even when he's not visible. Where does it end? When are we done? Well, there's no end. And that's what you, when you begin to realize the majesty of God who dwells in unapproachable light, can we really suppose for a second that the measure of God we presently know is the limit? All you have to do is read biblical history and the scriptures all you have to do is hear the testimony of revivalists and men of old. And, and God is using these things to say, listen, I've got more for you. Don't write yourself off. Don't think, well, you know, I'm just a housewife at home. I got four kids and oh, yeah, I can barely speak English these days. That's the way it feels like sometimes. God is using those circumstances to create an opening so that you can see more of him. Everything he's doing. Even if your house burns down, even if uh, a child strays from the way and, and goes down a path you haven't seen, even if the, you lose your job and there's struggles, even if there's broken relationships, God is and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So I'm going to just pray and then we're going to close. I think there's an established reality here that God is, but he needs to be sought. God is in me, but I only experience and therefore can only manifest a portion of who he is. My heart is, God, I want to see you more, and I want the world to see you more through me. So, Father, we ask that you would increase our faith. Father, that you would uh, break down today even the confusion, even the 
the barriers the enemy has thrown up, seeming theological questions about the manifestation of God, the omnipresence of God. Lord, you are there, but you are meant to be sought. You are in me, but you are increasing in me. And so, Father, we say, don't let the journey stop. And I pray that we would have the heart that will continually, continually, continually seek after you. And in our seeking, Lord, unbelief will be broken. In our seeking, disillusionment will be crushed. In our seeking, doubt will be, uh, will be eroded from our lives. And you will establish in us the disciplines that are born of humility, that you are a God who deserves to be sought deserves to be honored that lord i should humble myself i should make myself low because you are the high one you are the great one you are the strand of life so we bless you almighty god almighty god we long for the world to see the reality of who you are and lord we long to experience it for ourselves lord Perhaps right now, some of you are like Job. Perhaps right now, you have known God to some degree, but not compared to the degree that's coming. And you're going to say like Job, you know, I thought I knew God until that moment in my life. Suddenly everything changed. When is that moment coming? Father, we say, Lord, we want that moment to come. And we want another one like it to come and another one like it to come. We will not leave you alone. You are past finding out, but you will reveal yourself to those who seek you. So if you've been discouraged, I want you to just in the quiet of your heart say, God, I believe you are. Ancient of days, I believe you are. And that you are a rewarder of those who seek you, and I will seek you. Lord, I want to choose today to be a part of the generation of Jacob. That when you say, seek my face, my heart will say, your face, Lord, I will seek. May we hear your voice today saying, seek me. Seek me. God is not punitive. He's not punishing you with an absence of his presence. He's preparing you with a greater manifestation of his presence. He's trying to draw out of you what can be drawn just let your heart drink in that assurance. Anybody ever touched an electric fence? I'm sitting here and unbidden comes to mind this image of an electric fence tight around us. And we've touched the fence enough that we're, we know. Touch the fence, it's going to hurt. And so we've been contained in this little area with the electric fence. But I hear the word of the Lord saying the power is off. And he's talking about expanding us into a wider area. But there's this requirement of faith. To, now you've got to deal with this fence that has zapped you time and time again. And I'm seeing words like shame. I'm seeing these other words that have zapped us as we got close to them. But we're now in a place where the power is off. So what do we do? We've got to come up to these fences. We've got to be willing to touch them again and actually test the word of the Lord to go, I believe you even though I'm terrified. And as soon as it's proven the power is off, that fence no longer has any meaning. You're up and over it into a wider place. That's the challenge that we're in right now. For some of you, that fence has been spiritual warfare. You've, uh, you have different seasons of your life. You've sort of 
pressed the boundaries of your, your pursuit, and it's brought a level of warfare, sometimes right into your family, and you're like, oh, man, I nearly died the last time I touched that fence. The enemy is just a tool of God. He really, he really can only do what the Lord permits him to do. And he's really not the object of the warfare. The object of the warfare is you. We are his workmanship created for good works. And when you step into that next level that brought in the past a tremendous amount of warfare, you know, created a, a, almost a confusion and a disillusionment. I feel like the Lord says this time it won't be like that because you've grown in faith and you're going to have dominion on that level just over that fence. So, Father, we just uh, we ask that whatever obedience is required for us to step into the next realm, the next plateau of promise, which may lead to more testing, but Lord, we want to expand to the degree that you've given us license to expand, to step into that next realm. Lord, we say in Jesus' name, we'll not fear. Holy Spirit, we release you to massage that muscle of faith, that heart muscle within us. Holy Spirit, bring a strengthening and a conviction that we will not faint, we will not draw back, but we will press on. I feel the Lord's pleasure in this place. I feel like the Lord is saying that I long to take you. I long to take you into this place. And I feel like the Lord is saying that I'm coming close to you. And you think that I keep coming and you keep putting the discipline rod in my hand. But my desire for you isn't discipline right now. But my desire for you is pleasure. And that I'm longing to take you into the new place. Even like this thing of this fence. He goes, I'm longing to take you into the new place. And even this morning as we were praying, I felt like some of us were, some of us were saying that, God, we don't really need anything. I just want to be sung over God. And I feel the pleasure of the Lord in this place. I feel like God is saying, let me just give you myself. Would you open yourself up that I could give you myself? Even the smallest detail, even the smallest pleasure. I feel like many of you feel like you do things for the Lord and he doesn't see it. But God is saying, I see it. And I long to tell you good job. Would you open your heart to me that I could speak over you? That I could declare over you what I see? We bring our works and we bring our, our deeds and we bring our gifts and we bring them to everybody. We bring them to our husbands, we bring them to our fathers, we bring them to our kids. Just wanting someone to say, good job. But God is saying, you never come to me. You never come to my heart. Open yourself to me. Let me tell you what I think of your art. 
Let me tell you what I think of your job. Let me tell you what I think about your mothering. Let me tell you what I think about your grandparenting. Let me talk to you. So Lord, we ask, come in this room with your pleasure, God. We open ourselves before you, God. We give ourselves to a God of pleasure. We give ourselves to a God that enjoys us. We open ourselves today. And we say, take us, God. Turn this water into wine, God. The very first thing that Jesus did, his first miracle, it wasn't even a need. It was a want. This is the heart of God. They didn't need more wine at that wedding. They just wanted more wine. Oh, speak over us, God. Show us the fields you have for us, God, beyond our borders, God. So, Lord, we say we want you. We want you, Lord. As we're standing here, I'm replaying in my mind that picture of Jesus before Peter. And he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord. And I, what I see that happens the next two times after is a d divine surgery as the word of God from Jesus' own mouth goes into the heart of Peter basically to say, no, you don't, Peter. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. And the third time when he asks him, he doesn't respond with, yeah, I do. He says, you know. So often in our younger years, we're, oh, God, I'm 100% I'm for you. Lord, I'm on fire for you. Lord, I want you. Lord, I... In the process, of maybe 20 years of our life is God saying to you, do you love me? Do you want me? Not for the purpose of disqualifying, disqualifying us, but for the purpose of making that boast real, to make it so in our lives. We say, Lord, make it so. Make us a people who believe every word that we speak, who do everything we say we do, when we say we love you and we worship you and we want to honor you and you alone. When we say unto your glory, may it actually be unto your glory. Lord, we welcome you to do this in us. To make us vessels for your glory. Can you say amen?